Well, happy Easter to you. Jesus is alive. In fact, he's right here with us today. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. So he is here with us. And we have sung about Jesus, and that's who we're going to talk about this morning. If you want to follow along with the message, it's the Gospel of John chapter 20 this morning. The Gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to look at the passage from verses 19 through 31, and yet we're going to traverse this passage backwards today. We're going to start at the end of the passage and work our way backwards. That sort of fits who your pastor is, right? You know, I, I do things a little bit backwards. But I, I want you to keep in mind the person of Jesus today because we first want to look at Jesus and this book, meaning the Gospel of John, the, the letter that we're going to look at this morning. And then we want to look at Jesus and Thomas and his interaction with one of his disciples, Thomas. And then we want to look at Jesus and the other disciples and his interaction with them here on the day in which he was resurrected or a week later when he appeared to Thomas. First of all, let's look at Jesus and this book. John, the apostle, gives us here in these two verses, verses 30 and 31 of his gospel, the purpose of his book. He says, now Jesus performed many other miraculous signs, miracles, in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. So in other words, John's saying, we just scratched the surface when it came to Jesus. What we've included here is what the Holy Spirit of God led us to include, but this isn't the whole story. It's just part of the story of Jesus. But he says these are recorded so that you, each one of us, personal, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. The question all of us need to ask ourselves any day of the year, much less on Easter Sunday, is do I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? Do I believe who he claimed to be? Do I believe that he died on the cross for my sin and your sin, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead three days later, what every Christian celebrates? We'll get to more of that in just a moment. Do I believe that? Because John says if you and I truly believe that in our heart, it will result in something. And the result is that we will have life in him, in his name. Now, this isn't physical life. Obviously, we believe that God is also our creator. He's also the one that creates life and gives life. But that's not what John's talking about here. He's talking about a quality of life that only one can, can possess through belief in Jesus Christ. It is spiritual life. You see, Jesus said, you must be born again. All human beings are born once, obviously, to be physically alive. But Jesus says, unless one is born from above, born of the Spirit, then one can't even see the kingdom of God. 
One cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. One cannot possess and enjoy and experience this life in his name. And we're going to talk a little bit later about what does that life consist of? But Jesus does say this earlier on. He says to those who are following him, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I have come to lay down my life for my sheep. We've sung about him laying down his life for us. And he says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. See, again, eternal life that you may hear about, that the Bible talks about, that Jesus talks about, is not a quantity of life. It is a quality of life. It is living life at the highest level a human being can live here on earth. And Jesus comes not only to offer us forgiveness of our sin and, and a home in heaven when we die and all of that, he comes so that you and I can experience the highest quality of life that a human being can experience while we're alive here on this earth. And it's so important that you and I possess this life because it makes all the difference in the way you and I approach and live out every day of our life. It changes the, our perspective on life and, and our mindset about life. It, it just, it does everything. And it's, it's really his resurrection life that we're living out. Jesus says, because I live, you'll, you'll live also, and that you can live to the highest degree. So as you and I even live out this life, we are giving testimony that Jesus is alive every day not just once a year on Easter, but every day we're giving testimony that Jesus is alive and he's given me this life that is just a quality of life that I could have never experienced apart from Jesus. So that's Jesus and this book, if you will, the Gospel of John. But I want to get this morning also to this interaction that Jesus has with his one disciple, Thomas. You'll notice up in chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came the first time. On the very day he rose from the dead, that evening, he came to be with his disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. And we don't know why Thomas wasn't there. He might have had a very good reason why he wasn't there. But the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands and put my finger into the wounds from the nails and put my hand into his side where the spear went through, I will never believe it. I want to talk about Thomas for a moment. I think Thomas has gotten a bad rap over the centuries. You know, one of the nicknames that Thomas has been given over the years by people is Doubting Thomas because of this whole scene here. I don't think Thomas should be criticized. I actually think he should be commended. Let me tell you why. Let's look at the total picture of Thomas. Because just like you and I would not like it if somebody took a snapshot of our life and said, that's who they are. We would go, no, no, my, I'm much more than that. that. That's just a slice of who I am. Well, when people take a slice of this one incident that Thomas has with Jesus, it's like they define his whole life and who he is by that one thing. And there's much more to Thomas than just this interaction with Jesus. And every time I see Thomas in the Bible, other than this time, and I don't think this is bad, what Thomas is requesting here and doing here, 
I see Thomas as a real leader and a real, a real courageous, devoted follower of Jesus. Let me give you an example. In the Gospel of John chapter 11, Jesus is told that his friend Lazarus is dead. And this is at a time where the forces of evil and all of that are really coming against Jesus, and it's actually dangerous for Jesus. I mean, his, people are wanting to take his life now all the time. They're looking to kill him. They're, they're looking to murder Jesus. And obviously then they're looking to harm any of those who are following him. So when Jesus says, listen, I want us all to go up to Bethany to visit Lazarus and my friends Mary and Martha, the other disciples are like, Jesus, is that a good idea? I, I mean, it's, it's dangerous. And here's what Thomas says. Thomas says to his other disciples, let us go with him too so that we may die with him. Well, I think... That shows Thomas was committed. Thomas was courageous. Thomas wanted to be there with Jesus no matter what the consequences. That was a good thing. And then you all know the, the passage in John, later on in John chapter 14, where Jesus is trying to calm the hearts of his disciples because he can see they're so troubled by some of the things that he's told them. And he says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I, I would have told you. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again. I will receive you unto myself so that where I am there you may be too. And who was it that spoke up and said, Lord Jesus, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? That was Thomas. That was Thomas saying, Lord, I want to be there with you. Tell me how I can get there. And, of course, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. So when you see Thomas and all these other places in the Bible, man, he's a real courageous, committed leader and follower of Jesus Christ. And I actually think he's being a leader here in this passage for this reason. Thomas is basically saying, I want to have a firsthand personal experience with Jesus. I'm not going to just continue to follow Jesus and all of that based on what others say. I want to see it for myself. I want to have my own personal conviction here. And I commend him for that because it reminds us that you and I we can't live off of the convictions of other people. We may try, but those will never be sustained over a long period of time. You and I can't live off the fumes of other people's faith, you see. That's why God calls every human being to come to a place in our life where we personally, personally make a decision for Jesus Christ. I can't live off my parents' faith. I can't live off my brother's and sister's faith. I can't live off my spouse's faith. I can't live off my children's faith. I can't live off of anybody else's faith. I've got to make it my own. God calls all of us to personal faith in him so that all of us can have a personal relationship with him. And so Thomas here to me is just saying, guys, that's great for you, and you may have come to that conviction, and you may have seen him and all that, but I need to see him too. I can't go through the rest of my life saying, well, I believe that Jesus rose again because my 
fellow disciple said so, but I never got the chance to experience it myself. No, Thomas says, I want to experience Jesus myself so that for the rest of my life, when I go tell somebody Jesus is alive and I saw him, that will carry weight. So I love what Thomas is doing here. He's simply affirming the importance of personal conviction. And that is so important in our day and age because Jesus is going to call us to that in just a moment. Notice then, eight days later, verse 26, the disciples were again gathered together in a house, and Thomas now was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. We'll come back to that phrase a little bit later. But then he said to Thomas, and he, he makes three statements here to Thomas that I want to just spend a little bit of time with this morning. The first one is, he says, Thomas, put your finger here and examine my hands and extend your hand and put it into my side. Jesus is basically saying, Thomas, you get as close to me as you want to get to assure yourself that I'm alive, that I am who I claim to be. Come on, Thomas. Come on. And Jesus does the same thing today. You see, many religious leaders and many others try to keep their distance because if people get too close, it's like then they start to see the chinks in the armor and, and start to see, you know, the fallacies and the failures and all of that. Jesus is basically saying, human beings, whoever you are, before you make a determination about who you think I am, if you don't think I'm the Son of God yet, if you don't think I am the Messiah, then come on. I'm inviting you to get as close to me as possible. You come up, you stick your finger right there in the wounds. You, you examine me. You find out who I really am. And if you get as close as you can possibly get and you still come to the determination that I am not the Son of God, that I did not rise from the dead, that all of these things, then... If you come to that yourself rather than saying, well, I don't believe in Jesus because my parents didn't believe in Jesus or my family doesn't believe in Jesus or whatever, Jesus is saying, what about you? You need to care enough about your own soul that you will at least check me out and give me an honest, objective examination of who I am before you dismiss that I'm not who I claim to be. And Jesus is saying to all, Get as close to me as possible. You see, one of the things I've been reminded of through my life is, and I've shared this with you before, you and I even can impress people from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. Amen. And Jesus is calling people to come as close to him as possible because he wants to impact our lives like no other. He wants to influence us, influence us like no other. You can't do that from a distance. You only do that by getting close to Jesus. And Jesus is basically inviting us to get as close to him as we possibly can. Let me ask you this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never come to personally, by your own personal convictions, believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as the Son of God who died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead, then my question would be this. Have you really done a objective, careful, personal examination of who Jesus is before you've dismissed that. Because what I have found in my life, even in just 
casually talking to people on the street, if you will, is that most people who don't believe in Jesus have never really checked him out before they dismissed it. Never really. They've never really gotten into the Bible or gotten into who Jesus is before they said, I, I don't believe in him. Why don't you believe in him? Show me what evidence can you give me to not believe in him? Well, you know, this and that, and then they'll start talking about crazy things, you know, religion, you know. I'm talking about Jesus here. I'm not telling you to get close to religion. First of all, religion isn't going to save your soul. Amen. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And you may even say, well, I'm not a church person. I, I'm not a church-going person. That's fine. That'll take care of itself once you give your heart to Jesus. I'm talking about have you gotten close to Jesus? Amen. That's where it all starts. And then he says to Thomas, once he allows Thomas to get as close to him as Thomas wants to get, then he says, do not continue in your unbelief, verse 27, but believe. In other words, once we as human beings have been given ample evidence, ample proof that Jesus is who he claims to be, then Jesus says, don't, don't stay there in your unbelief, believe which again reminds us that God can give us all kinds of evidences. We can see all kinds of things. We can feel God in a sense, even moving and working. But there still comes that point where each of us as human beings has to personally open up our heart and believe in who God is. That's our personal choice. And many, many human beings over the years have experienced God. They have evidence. See, because God doesn't call us to blindly follow him. God, there's no such thing in the Bible as blind faith. You know, you hear people talking about, well, you Christians just have this blind faith in God. No, we don't. The faith that God calls us to is based on clear historical evidence and fact. All God is saying is, check it out. Check it out. Even within your own family, let me give you this example. If there's a Christian in your family and you're not yet a Christian, then you should be able to see the reality of God in their life. Amen. To know that God is real and that he's alive and that he does change lives because you can see the reality in somebody else's life. And God is simply saying, the evidence that I'm giving you, believe in that evidence. I'm not telling you to blindly follow me. I'm telling you to look around at the evidence of God that he's given you throughout your life and come to believe. Don't continue in your unbelief. We know a great example of continuing in unbelief was the Jews of the Old Testament. In spite of all the miracles and things that God did, many of them still persisted in unbelief rather than belief. Think about even the Jews that God delivered from Egypt. They saw the miraculous deliverance of themselves. They saw all the plagues that God brought upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They saw with their own eyes God part the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry ground. And yet in spite of all that they experienced, all that they saw that God was real, that he was the true God, the one God, the powerful God, all of that, when they got to the other side of the Red Sea, did they go into the promised land believing in God? No. They continued in their unbelief. That's why miracles and experiences aren't going to necessarily change you. You've got to believe in the God behind it all. And that's where Jesus is with Thomas. Don't continue in your unbelief, but believe. 
Well, Thomas then replies, my Lord and my God. Thomas said, I got it. <laughs> I saw with my own eyes, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this, have you believed because you have seen me? And then I want you to notice what he says next. And by the way, there are a few places in the Bible where you and I, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we're there. Did you know you're in the Bible? Right here. Look, look at what Jesus says. Blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed. We're the people. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus Christ and you haven't physically seen him, then we're the people. And Jesus says, you're blessed because you believed in the evidence that I gave you without having to see me in person. You believed in the working and moving of the Holy Spirit. You believed in what God revealed to you and in his word. You believed in that, and you will be blessed beyond those who have to see in order to believe. So there's this great thought at the end of this great gospel of John about John telling us what the purpose of his whole book was about. And we see Jesus in the book. And then we see this great encounter, that, that interaction that Jesus has with Thomas. But I want to end today by looking at the interaction that Jesus has with the group of disciples here on the very night that he rose from the dead. Notice it says in verse 19, on the evening of that day, what day? Well, if you go back to chapter 20, verse 1, very early on the first day of the week was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That was the day they discovered he's no longer in the grave. So on the evening of that day, the very first day of Jesus' resurrection, the disciples had gathered together. By the way, a little bit of a side note here. I'm just getting off a little bit. That's why Christians for the last 2,000 years meet and gather together on Sunday. Because Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday is the Sabbath, but Saturday is the seventh day of the week, according to the Jews. So why do we meet on the first day of the week? Why do Christians meet on Sunday? Because every Sunday we meet, is basically a declaration to the world, Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive. Amen. See, it's not just once a year we declare that. It's actually every Sunday that we declare because we're meeting on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, I'll go even a step further. Because you and I who believe in Jesus have his resurrection life and power living within us every day, actually every day that you and I are alive is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Because we couldn't live, nor could we experience this abundant life he came to give us without him. So every day of our life, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's why we gather together, because on the first day of the week, his disciples had gathered together. But they weren't gathering together, obviously, to celebrate his resurrection yet. They hadn't yet believed in his resurrection yet. 
In fact, notice, they locked the doors of the place where they were meeting because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And they had every human right to be afraid, remember? They just watched the Roman authorities, along with the Jewish uh, religious leaders, basically murder their leader, Jesus. It was not a great climate to be a follower of Jesus at that time in Jerusalem or the surrounding region. I can understand from a human perspective their fear, but let me also make a quick comment about that. When you and I are suffering or being debilitated or struggling with some of of our unhealthy emotions or we allow our emotions like fear and other things to get the best of us, nothing externally will be the ultimate answer to overcome that. Because the overcoming of those unhealthy emotions that can grab a hold of us and dominate and steer our life can only be dealt with from within, not from without. In other words, It wouldn't have mattered how many locked doors the disciples were behind. Their fear wasn't so much coming from feeling so secure and so safe from all the things that they tried to do to make themselves feel safe. Their fear was actually coming from within. That's why today, people who struggle say with fear, it doesn't matter how many security systems, how many safe locks, how many all that, their fear isn't actually coming and it's not going to be solved by all these external things. It can only be totally healed and made whole by doing business from the inside out. And that's true of any emotion. And that's why what mankind's solution to our emotional problems are never ultimately works because mankind, our answer through our psychology and stuff is, let's try to fix all the externals and all the outside stuff, and we don't even know what to do with the inside. And we think if we can get all the outside stuff fixed, that somehow those internal things that keep coming out of my heart are going to be solved. And they're never solved that way because external things can't solve problems within our heart. And fear is one of those things that wells up from within our heart. It's not something that comes from outside. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, could be put in some of the most dangerous uh, positions in the world and still be totally at peace because our fear isn't through external circumstances or our lack of fear. It's through our relationship with God. That's where it comes from. That's why that young shepherd boy in the Old Testament named David, who became the king of Israel, could stand before the giant Goliath and not be afraid to face him down. How could he have that fearlessness and that courage? Because his his fearlessness and courage came from his personal relationship with God, not because there wasn't a giant there. And you know the world we live in. Oh, there's no giant there. I'm going to deny my giant. I'm going to pretend there is no giant. Doesn't work. The giant's still there. The thing is, what am I going to do internally, not what am I going to change externally? So anyway, moving on. Jesus came and stood among them, and here's what his big message was on the day he rose from the dead, the evening that he rose from the dead. He had one particular message for his followers. Here it is. Peace be with you. 
In fact, we know that this was his message because notice he repeats this two more times in this passage. Verse 21, peace be with you, Jesus said to them again. And then eight days later when he came back and had his interaction with Thomas, guess what he says again in verse 26? Peace be with you. Why? Because Jesus wants his followers to experience his peace. Jesus earlier on said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage, I've overcome the world. Amen. See, the only real peace that a human being can really ever experience is through Jesus Christ. And that, the Bible says, is a peace that passes even understanding. Can't even comprehend it. Because it's the ability, the supernatural ability and gift from God to be able to be at peace whenever my circumstances dictate otherwise. Because my peace isn't based on my circumstances. My peace is based on my relationship with God. Now let me talk for a moment, since this was Jesus' primary message to his followers on the very first day he rose from the dead. Let me talk for just a moment about what that means, this peace. It means oneness. It is God's gift of wholeness. It is bringing everything under God in my life and everything to God. That's what this word means. In other words, you and I maybe have even heard others or maybe we've even said at times, I feel like my life is falling in pieces or falling to pieces or I'm falling to pieces. Because we have all these pieces of our life and even we live in a world where we think that many times the answer to living life at a really high level is compartmentalization. I'm going to compartmentalize everything. I've got this area over here and this area over here. I've got this piece of my life here. And, it, and I'm trying to manage all these different pieces. Think of it like a, a puzzle. And I've got all these pieces spread out. Well, God is basically saying here, Jesus is saying, You'll never experience peace, especially my peace, by looking at your life in such a fragmented way. The only way to experience real peace, lasting peace, peace that passes understanding, my peace is when you bring everything from your life, everything about your life, every part of your life, and you bring it under me, you bring it to me. Then you experience peace. That's why even as Christians, there's times in our Christian life where we may bring certain parts of our life under God and to God, but there's still pieces left out there. And those pieces that we leave out there that we haven't brought under God, under that one umbrella, if you will, we're not going to experience real peace in those areas until we bring them under God too. Because that's what the word means. It means oneness, oneness under God. Don't leave anything out there hanging. And some of you today, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, part of why you're not experiencing peace, that, that tranquility of your soul and spirit inside of you, you're all churned up and agitated and, and full of, of stress and fear and anxiety and worry and concern and all these things all the time, and you're just in angst all the time. The reason why is because you haven't brought everything in your life, including your life, under God yet. 
And that's the message that Jesus has to all of us today, is he wants us to be at peace. But the only way you and I can be at peace is when every part of our life isn't fragmented, isn't left in pieces, isn't compartmentalized, but when it's all brought under God and when we bring everything to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding, the Bible says. God says, stop your striving and know that I'm God. Last week, we looked at 1 Peter 5, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. The psalmist says, cast your burden upon the Lord, for he shall sustain you. He shall never allow the godly to be upended. Psalm 55, verse 22. Bring it all to the Lord. Bring it all under the Lord, and you will experience his peace. But he also goes beyond that. He also wants to remind us of something. And that is that he also has purpose for us every day of our life, and he has power to live by. Notice what he says also to the disciples in verse 21, 22, and 23. He said, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's purpose. Jesus is basically saying, if you will choose to follow me, I will give you purpose for your life every day. You will be my representative as I send you out there into the world so that people can see the reality of me in you, so that they will see the change that I've brought in your life so that others can see the transformation too in you and that they will know that I am alive and that I love them and that I want to love them too and that I want to have a relationship with them like I have with you. I am sending you out into the world as my personal representatives. Purpose. So many people today lack purpose. Why am I here? Why was I born? What am I here to do? And every day, you and I as Christians, we should never lack for purpose because if nothing else, Bottom line is, we can be Jesus Christ's representatives everywhere we go, to everyone we see, in every place we go. Amen. I send you purpose. But then he says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's power. That God is not just with us. God now, through the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us as believers and empowers us and enables us to be able to live again on a different level than we could ever live on our own as human beings because as human beings, there's a limit. We all have limits as human beings. But when you and I are partnered with God, God can take us beyond our limitations. Many of you know this about me personally. I'll just share this personal testimony. I am naturally introverted. So every Sunday and every Wednesday that you see me up here on this platform by myself doing what I'm doing, that is not a demonstration of Jeff Royce. That is a demonstration or should be a demonstration to all of you. God is alive. God is real. God is working through Pastor Jeff because Pastor Jeff could never do what he does on Sunday and Wednesday by himself. He is only able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit within him. And God wants to be that real to you as well each and every day of your life, to take you beyond what you could ever do on your own. Power, power, and purpose. 
So you see in this wonderful passage towards the end of the Gospel of John, really five things that Jesus gives us. First of all, he gives us prosperity because we can have life in his name. Life in his name, abundant life, life like no other life. He can bring fulfillment and satisfaction to our living like nothing or no one else can. And that's what people are searching for today. They're searching for fulfillment. They're searching for satisfaction. They're ser searching for something to fill that hole. And they try all these things in the world and nothing lasts and nothing does it. But Jesus can. Prosperity. Second, he gives us proof. Jesus says, you need proof? I'll give you proof that I'm the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who rose from the dead and conquered death, that I am who I've claimed to be. I'll give you all the proof you want. It's not that God hasn't given us proof and evidence. It's do we believe or do we continue in our unbelief? And have you done enough to even check out the evidence that God has given us? So Jesus not only gives us prosperity and proof, then he gives us peace, he gives us purpose, he gives us power. And by the way, to circle all the way back now as I end or begin to wrap things up, and come from the end back to the beginning, that's really what life in his name is. What's life in his name? Well, the first part of this passage. Life in Jesus' name, living life to the highest quality I can is fulfilling the purpose that Jesus has for me every day with his, with his peace and with his power. That's real living. Let me repeat that. Real life is fulfilling the purpose that Jesus has for me every day with his peace and with his power. That's a prosperous life. That's real living. That's abundant living. Do we have that experience in our life? Are we experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to give us? And even more than that, today, on this day, are we experiencing that peace that Jesus so desperately wants to give us? The peace that passes all understanding. Let's pray. God, I pray today that everyone here Lord, would have your peace, a peace that only you can give. Lord, by bringing everything in our life under you and to you, whatever we leave hanging out there that we don't bring to God, we're not going to have real peace until we do. We can try to solve our situation by external things. But Lord, we see in our society how broken our society is. That in this society that really lacks peace in their life, we're seeing the very clear evidence of it each and every day. The rise in suicides the growing number of people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, 
the worldly coping mechanisms that people are turning to, but never give them the true answer and the true peace that they're looking for. God, they're grabbing a hold of anything that they can to bring peace into their life, and nothing's working. And yet, God, here you are standing, Jesus, with your arms open, arms of love, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Oh, God, I pray today that all of us here would truly find rest for our souls today. A deep, inner sense of well-being that is not based on our circumstances or life situation, but it's based upon our own relationship and fellowship with you, God. God, for those who truly want your peace today, who truly want your power today, who truly want purpose in their life, all they have to do is turn to you, God. And just like Thomas, come to that place in their own life, their own personal conviction, and say, yes, you are my Lord and you are my God. May all of us come to that place at some point in our life, God, before we go out into eternity without you. Do a work, God, in this auditorium this morning. May all of us have open arms to embrace Jesus and bring you closer and closer into our life. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.